Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now and we're lowering the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Whiskey Topic. It's Mark Bylock, and today we're with Louise McGuane, uh, and we are talking to her about her company, the JJ Corey uh, Whiskey Company. Uh, Louise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, now this is pretty exciting because you're taking, uh, you know, Irish whiskey has become such a big, um, it, there's, we went from two distilleries in the 70s to a million now. I feel it's, I guess, closer to 30. Uh, but uh, but you're not, your goal isn't to have a distillery. You're you're going the kind of more the traditional way that was more, kind of an Irish, and, and Scot- Scotland as well, frankly. You're, you're going to be a procurer of, you're going to procure barrels and create whiskey blends uh, in a uh, more traditional style for Ireland, uh, for Ireland, correct? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, It was actually a very kind of core part of the Irish whiskey industry for a very, very long time, for a couple of hundred years. Um, but it died out there pretty much in the 1930s when everything else in Ireland died out from, from a whiskey perspective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we decided to bring it back. And but you're you've been in kind of I would call the booze industry uh, for many years uh, for working for different companies and you've kind of moved back into your roots and and wanted to open up uh, uh, this whiskey company. Yeah, that's right. I spent um, so I left Ireland in about 1995 and uh, never really went back in terms of living or working there. And I ended up spending my entire career working for big multinational global drinks brands like all over the world. So everybody from Stoli Vodka to Johnny Walker to Kettle One, you kind of name it. Like I worked for a lot of the bigger uh, brands globally and um, it was great, you know, but working for big corporations, you you learn an, an inordinate amount, but... I always kind of compare it to sort of that Harry Potter scene, you know, when the Death Eaters are in the tunnel sucking the life out of the kids. Like, it gets to a point where um, corporate life can really sort of grind you down and, and you have to either decide, okay, you're in it until the very bitter end when you uh-huh. retire or you're going to do something else. And and I, I decided, I was living in Singapore in 2012, 2013, and my husband was living in Europe and we were living apart due to work. And I decided something had to give. Right. Yeah, I did a deal with my husband. He, I said, look, I'll move back to Europe if I can start an Irish whiskey company. <laughs> and that's what you did. Um, how difficult would have that been at that at that time? Because now you're you're looking at buying barrels, so you're going to other distilleries and you're you're looking for their barrels. Uh, is this? I, I, that's how a lot of Irish whiskey already works for, in, in some brands. But like, how difficult was it to become a new player on this? Look, it's really difficult. It's still really difficult. You know, it's whiskey in general, doesn't matter where it's where it is, what country. Um, whiskey is a very cyclical business. You know, it's it's boom and bust over the very, very long period of time. Um, the difference with Irish whiskey is that we effectively had a monopoly or a duopoly on the island of Ireland producing whiskey for, you know, close to 100 years. So you know, just like in the United States and in many other countries, you know, craft distilling and the rise of craft distilling, um, it, it began to become apparent in Ireland around about the time I decided to set up a distiller or, or set up a whiskey company. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time in the U.S. in particular and, and uh, spent a lot of time around those new kind of craft distilleries 
And I, look, it was something that really interested me. It's a much different approach to the production of spirits than it is in a multinational corporation. And it was much right. more my speed. But, you know, I, 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 looking back on it now, like we're in 2019 and I have a whiskey on the market. To be frank with you, it's, it's very close to miraculous, I think, that we managed to do that. Um, it's, that there weren't a lot of places to go and source whiskey back in 2015 when I really started sourcing whiskey. And there are even less now when it comes to mature whiskey. So uh -huh. um, it was difficult to say the least, if, if not even because from a legal perspective and a statutory perspective, um, legislating for new whiskey companies or uh, you know, legally licensing them and that kind of thing is not something that had happened in Ireland for, you know, a century. There, there were no new distilleries. There were no new whiskey companies. There were no people setting up bonded warehouses for maturation. Um, so going through the bureaucracy piece was incredibly difficult because I was dealing with government bodies who had no institutional memory of how to legislate for this sort of stuff. So I spent a lot of time uh, waving statutes from the 1840s in front of, you know, the, the various different government bodies to show them what I was trying to do and to, to guide them through the, the licensing process. Uh, it was a pretty frustrating ride at times, but, um, but we got there in the end. Yeah, and, and and right. So just to, for for listeners, I mean, it really in in Ireland, you you have the two big distilleries, Middleton and Bushmills, and those are you know functional pretty much throughout the entire time. Uh, I, I guess one of them even closed down in the seventies. But uh, most Irish whiskey comes from those two distilleries. I have Cooley uh, that that opened up in the late eighties, and and Kilka. Kilbegan, uh, but but for the most part, until relatively recently, there weren't a lot of distilleries. So if you ha if you see any Irish brand out there, it probably comes from the two big players um, out there. Um, but now, of course, uh, we've we've seen the same thing happen in Canada uh, and and pretty much everywhere else. You had the distilleries that used to be so big, they just produced a lot of extra whiskey. They were like, here, here, half barrels, half barrels, and now they're like, no, actually, we can make more money holding on to these barrels. Uh, but you have some old stocks, so you you managed to procure it at, at probably a great spot because you see you have a lot of older barrels in, in your in your warehouse currently I do yeah I just I, I it was very much a kind of right time right place situation for me like my original plan was was to go down the traditional route of setting up a grain to glass distillery and mm -hmm. that's what I kind of looked at in, in the early stages of business planning you know I have a farm so I have land so that's a kind of a tick in terms of a site for the thing and um you know, I was I was heading down that route and then I I was just very lucky to be in the right place, right time and, and forge the right relationships to be to be given access to some very old stock. And mm -hmm. uh, I was also incredibly fortunate in that I was able to raise enough money to buy it because it's capital intensive, you know. Sure. Yeah. It all kind of came together really nicely. And the second that any older stock was offered to me, you know, I was buying the oldest stock I could find. Because mm -hmm. I knew we were when we were going to go blending, I knew that I wanted to have really sort of really interesting uh, stocks with well-developed flavors to go blending from. So anytime I was offered, you know, a 25-year-old cask, I bought it. Mm -hmm. And apparently I have, in terms of being an independent small player, apparently I have one of the larger collections of um, 1991, like older stock in the country, just because... 
I wasn't going to go out and build a distillery. So I was able to spend all of my, my, the money that I raised on just buying whiskey rather than building a distillery. And I, and as a result, I have a pretty, a pretty good collection for, for, for a business of my size. I guess that would save you a lot of money in some ways because uh, distillers can cost many, many, you know, could be such an expensive undertaking, especially depending if you want to have the size of it. That makes a lot of sense. Plus, you can't always get the hardware now these days anyway. Even just getting a still uh, seems to be, uh, there's a long wait list for those alone. But you have no plans to, d- to build a distillery at this point. You're, you're, this, is, this isn't uh, where you're going now. No, definitely not. Like, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, first of all, um, what we're doing, whiskey bonding, was genuinely a lost part of Irish whiskey heritage. So mm-hmm. I love the authenticity of that. And I love that we're bringing that way of whiskey making sort of back. So I feel really confident in 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 the way that we make our whiskeys and, and the way that we communicate about the fact that we source, you know. So what we do is right. we communicate that really transparently. So I'm proud. I'm very proud of the business model. And I'm very proud that I source individual casks. Um, you know, it also gives me a really good license. Like the long-term goal for me is that I'm going to be building this library of Irish whiskey spirit flavors from all over the country. Mm-hmm. You know, the traditional distillery model is that you distill your own stuff and you you blend it and you or you bottle it or you do whatever. I just find it far more interesting to have this massive library of spirit from Galway and Dublin and Antrim and Cork and Limerick and different mash bills, different maturation, you know, uh, uh, conditions maybe sometimes, different water sources, different approaches. So the long goal is, is that I have this incredible library of flavors to pull from to make really interesting whiskeys. And the further into this kind of, um, that I've gotten with the, with the whiskey bonding model, the less I want to open a distillery. Because also, like, I have a lot of great friends in the industry and the Irish whiskey industry and beyond. And I see, I mean, it's tough to open a distillery. It's, it's pain and it's, it's work. And, and once you get going, you've got years to wait. Um, we're going now. We've got whiskey on shelf. We're blending and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're really kind of on the move. And, um, I, I, and I like this model. So we're sticking to it. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, you're you're basically um, like with the, with this the stock that you have. That that sounds pretty amazing. Um, it also sounds like you're doing the fun part because really, I mean, unless you really love distillation, unless you're in that field or, or, or fermentation and all that, and going making whiskey, you're doing the fun part. You're picking out barrels, tasting barrels, blending them together, and, and creating fantastic products. And that that to me sounds like the fun part of the business, and in, in terms of making whiskey. It is, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I get to sort of dip a toe into the distillation piece every now and then. So, you know, we buy two kinds of whiskey now. We buy new make whiskey directly off the still from the distilleries. Okay. And mm-hmm. then we cask that ourselves. So I'll, we'll, we'll taste the new make and then, or the, you know, we'll taste the new make and figure out, okay, what kind of cask does that need to go into? And then I get to go off to Mexico or whatever and source mezcal casks or whatever it is I'm doing. And then, uh, and then we mature it. So I get, I, I still get that kind of taste and that, and that experience around sort of the distillation piece um, with our new make. But yeah, you're right. Like sourcing old casks, sourcing mature casks is kind of fascinating because every single cask of the mature stock that we source, um, you know, it's going to be from one of those distilleries that you mentioned, most likely if it's anything over five or six years old. But mm-hmm. each one of them has a unique history, you know, because 
the thing about whiskey trading and is, is that casks kind of make their way into various hands and out of different hands and stuff like that. So they're, they're, every individual cast we have is kind of a piece of living history of the Irish whiskey industry. And um, the, the variety and flavors that you get is just, it's, it's mind blowing sometimes. You know, I have casks that were distilled in the same distillery in the same parcel, probably cast within a, within a week of each other, and they may as well be from different planets. So right, it, right. it's fascinating to see um, what cask variation can do, and I love that piece of the job. Um, so let's let's talk about the whiskey. Uh, what are your what's what's your kind of core range, or what would you how would you describe your your whiskeys that you have out right now? Yeah, so we're you know because we're whiskey bonders, it's very important that you know we're we're affecting the the whiskey that we're sourcing and that we're purchasing, and that we're doing something unique with it from a flavor standpoint. So we're very focused on the blend. Um, and the first whiskey that we came out with is called JJ Cory the Gale. Uh, named after a bicycle that our namesake, J.J. Carey, uh, invented in the 1890s. He was a whiskey bonder in my town in the 1890s, and it's his brand that I've kind of reinvented, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. That was our first whiskey out of the door, and that was really important for us because we needed to establish ourselves as, you know, as transparently as possible as a bonder, um, make clear that we're sourcing our whiskey, but also create a really great blended Irish whiskey that, that uh, would really deliver on those big, juicy, fruit-forward um, flavors that people tend to look for in Irish whiskey. Um, so the Gale was a 60% malt, 40% grain blend, uh, and that's flipped in Irish whiskey. It's normally the other way around. Uh, we also kind of used all, all of our older stocks really to, to in, in that blend. You know, at the time I blended that, um, we put in some 5% 26-year-old malt, 55% uh, um, 15-year-old and 11-year-old and malt, and then the remainder is, uh, is a 9-year-old grain. So uh -huh. we used some of our older stocks to create a nice... Just a very sort of a blend, a complex blend that, that really delivers, because I think blended Irish whiskey hasn't really had its moment in the way that maybe blended scotch has. Um, in Ireland, we've tended for a long time to kind of keep blended Irish whiskey young and on the on the bottom shelf. So I just uh -huh. wanted to show that, you know, we can really deliver on those beautiful fruit forward flavors and, and really kind of create a unique whiskey with the, the stock that's out there and the stock that everyone else is using. Um, right. The Gale's done really well. You know, it's a crowd pleaser. We're, we're finished with batch one now. We're moving into batch two. Stylistically, it'll be the same, but everything will be uh, three years older or two years older. Um, and then we also have a single malt, um, very, very small batch, only 700 bottles went out. It's called the Flintlock. And that was just three individual casks that we pulled from the same distillery and blended together again, to create those massive fruit balmy sort of uh, Irish whiskey flavors, um, very much in the same wheelhouse as the Gale, but uh, a really uh, sort of a, a sort of the Gale on steroids, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. We'll be doing another batch of that again. That did well, won Best Irish Single Malt in the Irish Whiskey Awards last year. Um, and then we have, you know, once we delivered kind of really well on the Gale and the Flintlock, I wanted to experiment and have a bit of fun. So JJ Carey, who was a whiskey bonder in our town, like I said, he I, he used to sort of use um, rum casks and Bordeaux casks and sherry casks 
to finish and to mature his whiskies. So, and I know that because we have a lot of archival information about him. So mm -hmm. I decided to kind of take that concept and apply it to modern whiskey bonding. So I went out and I looked kind of globally at the kind of key trends that are out there and also at flavor profiles that I really liked. And I got some mezcal and tequila casks. And we released the Battalion there a couple of months ago, uh, which is a malt grain blend that has been influenced, cask influenced for seven months in a mixture of mezcal and tequila casks. Um, really interesting whiskey, beautiful agave herbal tones to it. Um, still delivers on all those Irish whiskey flavors that you want, but um, a very unique uh, whiskey on the palate. And named after uh, the battalion San Patricos, who uh, fought for the Mexican uh, army in the Amer Mexican-American War of the uh, 1860s, they were a group of Irishmen who had defected from the American army. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I had no idea that happened. That's yeah, amazing. that happened. They're really famous in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how popular the story will be in the U.S. though. In Texas I know what we've especially. had some issues with it down south. To be honest, like yeah, the Tennessee guys are like, hang on a second, what's the story? So uh, we, we might have to like layer back on the on that narrative for for some parts of the U.S. But the whiskey is amazing. It's 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 a world's first. You know, the Scotch Whiskey Association have just allowed the use of tequila mezcal barrels yep. um, for scotch. So I think you'll be seeing a lot more of it because they mm -hmm. are they are flavors that really do work together well. Um, so we're going to be bringing that into our core portfolio. Um, so can you can you describe, since you, you know, you were in, in, in the blending process, how, what sort of flavors are you getting from the from the mezcal and the tequila? Like, how do you how do you sense the, the flavors coming from that? Yeah, it's really interesting because I'll tell you, you know, the, the thing about doing a, a cask influence like this that hasn't been done before um, is that you've no idea what you're going to get. So mm -hmm. if you put your whiskey into a Bordeaux cask or a red wine cask or whatever, you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah. With tequila mezcal, what I was actually after in reality was mezcal smoke is what I was hoping uh -huh. to get. Because right. I do love, I love smoke. I love smoking. I love European peated whiskeys. I love uh, any kind of smoke in a whiskey. I love sort of the balcony stuff that they do. I, I love it. And I wanted to put an Irish whiskey with that kind of mesquite uh, sort of mezcal smoke to see what would happen. And I didn't get that at all. That didn't happen <laughs> at all. And so what we got instead was we realized, oh, you know what? We can't chase the smoke. We're not going to get it. So what we need to do is to chase the agave and the herbal mm -hmm. kind of green tones. Um, so what we did is what you have to do then is the tequila casks actually delivered a lot more for us than the mezcal casks did. Um, we we had a lot of malt in the mezcal casks and it just it won't really take won't really take the finish won't really take the influence as well as grain will. So we ended up then just experimenting a lot with the ratios of the grain that had been finished in the tequila mezcal casks mm -hmm. and the, the mezcal to, to try to, to get to that kind of herbal, herbal tones. So, yeah, it was interesting. You figured out after a couple of months, like what's going on. And then it's all in the blend for us. Then it's all in the blend. We don't just disgorge and bottle. We spend a lot of time on the precise ratio of, you know, how much grain that was in a tequila cask was being used, how much grain that was in a mezcal cask was, that was being used, etc. Yeah, it was good fun. 
That, that sounds like a great time. I have to say that that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, uh, being in that blending part of the world, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, do you? Um, so I've noticed you don't you don't use uh, none of your whiskeys are, are pot still uh, or single pot still uh, whiskeys. Do you do you carry any um, like were you do you do you carry any kind of strong opinions on on the how the legal definitions have they changed in Irish whiskey? We've had we've had a few few strong opinions on this program. We we uh, we had Mark Rainier, uh, you know, from Waterford Distillery, uh, on here. We've had. Um, uh, O'Connor that wrote a glass apart, and he kind of told us, you know, a little bit about the history of whiskey, uh, Irish whiskey. Um, do you kind of was that you know? Do you kind of uh, have a side on this as to whether single pot still or single malt or single grain, like how those are are categorized themselves? Yeah, look, it's I have a lot of opinions on this, just like the guys do. Like I know the lads fairly well. Uh, it's not, and it's not a good opinion either. Like the reality, I'm telling you right now, the, the reality of the technical file for Irish whiskey is that it was really written by one or two companies at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think maybe, maybe at some, and companies that I used to work for, by the way. <laughs> right. That's true. And maybe, maybe worked at them at the time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm cool kind of like laying it out as it is. I think that the, at the time they, they were in desperate need of protection for the category. Right. Mm-hmm. There yeah, was no yeah. other distilleries really around at the time when that thing was written. There was one or two guys, you know, Cooley was in operation at the time. And, and I know that those meetings were really difficult, really heated. Um, and not everybody came out of there happy at all. And I also know that that that, you know, the biggest sort of distillery on the island at the time effectively you know, wrote a technical file that dictates everybody else should make whiskey the same way they make it. Right, right. So, and I don't think it was, it's not as maybe, maybe it is nefarious, I don't know. I think that they did have the the good of the category at its heart, right, and that they wanted to protect it. And I I don't agree with it. You know, I I think it's nice that we have protection. I think the pot still technical file is is ridiculous. Like it it has Mm -hmm. no correlation to what, how pot still was actually made 150 years ago. It's not traditional. It's just homogenized. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a regulation, which is the stupidest one I've ever heard, which is you're not allowed to distill somebody else's, you know, wash. So you can't partner with your local craft brewery you know, to, <laughs> to distill their wash. Like, that's just a stupid regulation. Like, every other craft distillery in the, on the planet can do that. Yeah. So, um, no, I don't like it. I, I, I don't think it's, it's fit for purpose. But, I, but, but here's what I do think. Neither do I think is it going to change, right, in any, any mm-hmm. time soon. You're, right. you're, you're looking at a regulation that is currently, even as we speak, I think, being audited by the EU and... Um, the the lobbying body that we have in the in Ireland, which is called the Irish Whiskey Association, is comprised of very very large businesses who pay its bills. So mm-hmm. you're not going to see it change in that anytime soon until we have a bit more um, a bit more of an even keel industry where it still isn't a couple of people totally in charge. You know, like 80, 89, 95% of the industry is one or two companies still. Let's not kid ourselves here. You know, right. Irish whiskey is in significant growth, but it's not me that's growing it. You know, it's the pervasive brands that you guys, that everybody knows on the lower end of the market who are still large and in charge. So I would probably hold the same opinion as Rainier does, I would imagine, if, if, not, if not fairly close to it. But we're stuck with it. And my opinion on innovation is that you work around it. So 
that's the reason that I do stuff like tequila mezcal finishes because innovation is possible. You know, if you can't call your, your whiskey pot still, fine, call us something else and let's just roll with that. Pot still is not that well known and not that well of a niche category yet that it's not, it's the end all be all. Um, you're going to see a lot of stuff coming out of small guys anyway that's going to defy the technical file because everybody's, people are starting to use oats and people are starting to use traditional greens that used to be used back in the day. So it'll write itself eventually. But the reality of the technical file is that we're stuck with it for now. Yeah, I guess it is, it is, is it a little bit similar to like the Tennessee whiskey problem where like if you have whiskey in Tennessee, you're expected to make it a certain style and it, it's hard for them to kind of control the messaging because they can't call it bourbon or straight rye they have to kind of well they don't they could do whatever they want but it, it's kind of the same point as like Tennessee whiskey has such a strong branding behind it um and, and regulation that that that's kind of thing and then you got the Irish pot still but I, I agree with you I don't think um I, I think that that name pot still is such a um I don't know what the term was. It's a very attractive name to use in the whiskey world. People are like, oh, it's a pot still. That must be nice. All that's missing is the word copper. If they had but copper pot still, it would have been even more <laughs> general. Yeah. There was copper made in this whiskey or copper was used. Yeah. So so I guess the, the, the because they define pot still in a certain way, that has nothing to do with the pot still or the history of a pot still whiskey. Um, but you, that doesn't stop you from innovating. And I think that's that's a great uh, takeaway from this and, and uh, is that you can continue innovating. You just you may not call it pot still and, and who really cares if, you know, if that it doesn't have that same it's not the same thing as a single malt for scotland i guess so you do have more freedom at least from a marketing and, and branding perspective it sounds like well we do for now but we have to keep a close eye on it you know because um yeah there, there's the, the the independence right i consider myself an independent whiskey company and and i call we're we're indie right and mm -hmm. by that i mean nobody i'm not 20 percent owned by bacardi or whatever and you know, at the moment, like the old, what I call the old guard are still very much defining the direction of the industry in that, like they're, they're organized, they're part of the Irish Whiskey Association, they pay a lot of money to be in that. And right now they have a voice. And right. we don't have a voice right now, the Indies. And the reason that we don't have a voice right now is because we're all so focused on keeping the lights on in our various different businesses we have to get our businesses going, make whiskey, get distribution, get out there. We don't have, um, we're not organized enough yet to come together to go, okay, guys, you know, from an independence perspective, we need this legislation or that legislation. So, you know, the time's going to have to come soon where we get together and, and start to sort of speak for ourselves. Because, mm -hmm. again, I've worked for multinationals my whole life. The multinationals are not going to get up and speak for us. They're just not. Like, the, the Irish Whiskey Association does good work in general for the protection of the Irish whiskey category as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, it does nothing for the advancement of small indie brands who wish to innovate and um, propel the category kind of further, you know. It, so the time's going to have to come fairly soon where we all get together and say, okay, here are the top three things that needs to happen legislatively for us to thrive and we need to kind of organize around that. We just we just don't have the time right now. When I say we, I mean me, certainly. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of people, other people don't either. But we're going to have to get to that. And it is. I mean, I, I, I have a, you know, we have a similar situation here in, in Ontario, Canada, that where the, the province is very focused on the 
big distilleries and, and it has very, very little support for the smaller ones. And, and, and it is so short sighted because you do want, you do want uh, the, create the opportunity to create brands and build, build kind of that, that global brand. You just don't want, you know, I live in Ontario. I don't want Canadian club to define Ontario whiskey. Uh, it's, it's just not the way, you know, Ontario should think of it. Ontario should think of it. Hey, let's have Canadian club and let's have that be a leader whiskey, but let's also have this other, other distillers that also become known in the, in, in the, uh, in the world and, and just kind of give them either. There's a few, there's a state in British Columbia and in, in Canada where they, they are promoting a lot of us, uh, uh, craft or, or I, I should call it micro distilleries or like you said, independent distilleries. Uh, and that's, you know, and that's creates more business and more of a recognition for, for the whole. Uh, so yeah, no, I, it's, uh, interesting, but I, I agree. I'm very excited to hear, uh, especially when you, you talk about oats and, and using, uh, oats and distillation. Um, have you, I, I mean, you may not want to tell me that, but have, have you, uh, have, have you purchased any whiskey, uh, from the still that's made of something other than, you know, just grain or, or, or malt is, have you had some, uh, oats, uh, or other, um, historic uh, grains from from Ireland. Affirmative, I have. Oh, oh, good. You're actually telling me it's so rare. So you have people on the podcast like I, I can't tell you that, Mark. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, that's excellent. That's, that's very exciting. And what? So can you give us a preview? Like, what are your kind of experiences with with that? Because I've never tasted an oat. I've tasted a lot of whiskeys made from a lot of weird stuff. Um, <laughs> I've never tasted one from oats, so I'm very curious. It's too early to tell, really. Like, I'm going, you know, I've been on a buying spree of whiskey this year. And the only reason I've been on a buying spree is that, you know, in spite of the fact that you hear there's like 30 distilleries in Ireland, most of them are producing gin right now, not whiskey. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of only really this year, 2019, that people have got kind of started to really kind of move on stuff. So it, honestly, too early to tell. But like my philosophy is, is that if anybody is doing anything really interesting and, and out there, whether or not it's in the technical file, you know, I would like ideally if I can, I'd like to have some of that to lay it down because that's going to be a part of the history of Irish whiskey moving forward. So, um, yeah, I can't I can't like it's not that I don't want to tell you. It's just that sure. I, don't, I, I there's not there's sure. not a huge amount to say. It's so baby, baby, baby. Um, but it, you know, it could go in really interesting directions, I think, definitely. Well, it's, it's so exciting because I think early on, uh, like, you know, three, four years ago and, you know, you saw, saw these desserts pop up. I was like, oh man, it's going to be, it's going to be not too fun for Irish whiskey if it's all going to be distilleries trying to make single pot as it's been defined in Ireland, single pot whiskey. I was like, that's not going to be a very exciting time for Irish whiskey because you're not going to, you know, it's all going to taste very similar. Um, and you could do a lot with blending, of course, but I'm just saying as those companies grow out, uh, but it's very exciting to hear that, you know, there's just a lot of different processes and they get different choice of oak and you have that flexibility using uh, mezcals and tequilas and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's really exciting. I'm, I'm very excited. This is, sounds great. Um, so you're, you're mostly selling into the U.S. currently? or yeah we're, we're 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 global you know so we're we're in the u.s we're in asia we're all over europe um and we're expanding this year is a big sort of year of expansion for us into kind of down to south africa and and australia and all of that can't we're trying to break the back of canada now to be honest with you like you know you guys are a complicated market you know that better than i do we are yeah you are so um we're a higher end irish whiskey you know we kind of start at the I, I can't even remember what it is in Canadian dollars, but we're, we're higher end, you know. Um, we're at the kind of Jemison Method and Madness kind of price point as a beginning. And what we found is that, like, Canada, Canada seems to be looking for sort of the, the lower end Irish whiskeys currently. Um, so we're, we're trying to sort of get in on the next call and hopefully get going by St. Patrick's Day next year. 
but it's not an easy market to get into. But we are available on most of the sort of, um, you know, uh, whiskey websites like Whiskey Exchange and Master of Malls and Caskers mm. and places like that. They, they ship internationally for us. But we're, we're hoping to launch in Canada in early 2020. Yeah, I, I, I always, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the podcast, uh, the primary audience is in the U.S. Um, and also that's that's good because Canada seems to get everything a year later. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just the way it goes, uh, sometimes many more years later. Uh, no, that's really, that's terrific. I am, I'm, you know, really excited to kind of for what you're bringing out. Um, I can't wait to taste some of it. It uh, sounds like it's right up our, our alley here uh, for, with Jamie and I, kind of whiskey we normally drink. So uh, something a little, something interesting, kind of unique perspective and something that's been blended really well. Uh, you know, talk about that blending process and how important that is um, to producing great whiskey. So, you know, it's not just about the, the marketing, but it's also, it's a lot about the, the kind of how everything combines. Um, anything else that you'd like to talk to us about uh, today? No, I mean, I think I'll just say that like Irish whiskey is really, it's a very exciting time at the moment. You know, if you think you know Irish whiskey, you probably won't recognize it in a couple of years time. Mm-hmm. All of the new indies that are coming out just are very, very brave, brave souls who, you know, are, are putting their heart and soul into into driving the industry forward. And I would just say support them if you can. You know, at the moment, yes, there's a lot of Irish whiskey out there that's sourced from people, but that's a very temporary situation. Like, just believe for a little longer and, you know, the category is really going to start to deliver in a couple of years. And um, it deserves our support, I think. Yeah, I, we say that on a podcast uh, here as well a lot. It's it's the the, the independent distilleries. You you want to support them in any way. Buy their gin, buy their vodka, even their vodka. I hate saying that, but buy whatever they're making. <laughs> just but just just to kind of support that because um, you you think of the you know we, we talked about the big distilleries in Ireland or anywhere else in the world. They're selling it you know in Canada prices twenty five dollar whiskey and the U S prices a ten dollar whiskey and that's how they make their money because they sell millions and millions and millions of those bottles and they're able to you know feed into the kind of the, the more deluxe or, or, or higher end market but the small distilleries you know there's no way for them to produce a $25 $10 whiskey uh, without losing you know 40 bucks a bottle and then there's no way to um, have it's harder to get into that 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 more expensive market so it's always so important to support distilleries um, so I, I think that's a great uh, I think that's a great takeaway uh, for listeners is to look around uh, I was looking around JJ Corey, Corey is available uh, in like like you said a lot of different uh, like even buy it online in the US which is great uh, certain stores anyway um, so that's really uh, through caskers.com. That's right. Uh, so we'll post a lo- uh, link on that in the show notes as well so that uh, grab a bottle, uh, enjoy, and, and again, support the distilleries. It's an important time to have independent distilleries uh, because otherwise we're all going to be tasting the same thing uh, with just different words on the bottle. And I think that that would be a shame. Exactly. All right. Well, Thank you so much, Louise, for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, I feel like every time we have somebody from from the Irish whiskey industry, we get a lot of good opinions. So uh, I'm very, <laughs> uh, very happy to to hear that and, and kind of you know uh, with, with what you're doing there. Great, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ah, uh, thanks. Have a great day. Oh, I I should say before I always think is there uh, is should, uh, where do you want people to follow you on social media and like. Uh, for for Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, so on on social media, we're at WhiskeyGate uh, and on Twitter and also on uh, Instagram and then on Facebook, JJ Kari, or just search JJ Kari and you'll find us or hashtag WhiskeyBonder, you'll find all of our social stuff. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, have a great day. Cheers. Cool. Thank you. Two, three, four,